As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. I had a very interesting conversation with Dmitry Drugulev, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Dmitry's story is super interesting. He was an immigrant from the Soviet Union and then moved to the United States without even knowing any English. And now Dmitry is known as one of the most prolific growth hackers there is. Now, he's helped companies grow from a standing start to finding millions of users. And one of those companies actually even got acquired by Google. Now, he's found ways to grow his own blog, Criminally Prolific, to earn over $100,000 in just nine months of getting it started. Now, Dimitri is the founder of Just Reach Out, which is a platform that helps companies grow through PR by connecting them to relevant journalists in their field. Dimitri shares his story, but there's also a ton of great ideas in this interview. So let's get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. 
podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Mike Belsito. Dimitri, thanks a lot for uh, joining us here on Rocket Show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, you know, our mutual friend Ryan O'Donnell, who he's been on the show in the past, he put you and I in touch. And I know when Ryan and I were talking, we were talking about this series about growth. And you were one of the people that came up top of mind for Ryan. Maybe you could go in a little bit, you know, just sort of share a little bit about your background. I know you have this awesome blog, Criminally Prolific. You're the founder of Just Reach Out. I want to definitely hear about those, but maybe just also go into a little bit more about your background too. Yeah, yeah. I uh, came here as a Soviet immigrant circa 1993, didn't know the language or the culture, uh, thought that you only took showers every two weeks, and uh, <laughs> and uh, didn't really speak the language at all. I arrived here, I was like 11 or 12, and uh, and right away computers, right, like right away, I was like, huh? I got to get this computer thing. I remember like Windows 3.1 and I was like a software engineering intern by the time I was like 15, but very introverted engineer type kind of kid growing up and trying to raise my sister and just keeping my head down, always coding and kind of, I got a computer science degree early on, went to like a engineering school like uh basically out so got my computer science degree from university of new hampshire and then got a like a department of defense contractor type of position so bae systems is this ginormous company eighty four thousand people working for department of defense and uh, i was writing code for flight plan simulation so like you know <laughs> fighters and cargo planes for the army or the the air force uh they used our software to fly their routes and it was like i had to get secret clearance all this stuff and i looked around and i was like i don't want to be like that guy sitting in the office that has <laughs> been here for like 20 years right. <laughs> like definitely not that guy okay and i'm like there's got to be something more to life uh, so I quit my job, sold everything I had, and then just drove cross-country to Silicon Valley, wanting to work for a startup, arrived, started walking around meetups, and nobody would hire me. Nobody even gave me a free position, like free cons- free anything, like free internship, and then, like a volunteering position because they're like, you don't know how to do anything. You're just like an engineer and marketing. Like, wh- what are you going to do for us? And... And long story short, I, I got uh, introduced to this guy who was number 20 at LinkedIn. He went, so I got, I started my MBA. And so he, he got an MBA from the same university. So I uh, got introduced to him and he was starting a new company. And, and so he took pity on me. He's like, like I'll give you a, a task. You have to put up a Wikipedia page and you have to keep it up about us. And we still haven't even formed the company yet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so I put that up. I just got attacked by all these people. But I was able to keep it up because, you know, like I was trying to make a point that this guy is number 20 at LinkedIn. He's doing something new. And so he gave me a free internship. And I just learned so much from him in the next two years. We closed $3 million in venture capital and like within three months. Then $6 million in the next six months. 
with that first year, nine million in funding. This is right before the crash. Okay. 2008 happens. We have the money. We scale like crazy. Then we fire a bunch of people, and then eventually we got acquired by AVG, and that was like a crazy ride for me. Like the first startup I start working for, I go through all that during the the financial crisis. It was like the craziest time for me, like learning ups and downs of running marketing and doing that kind of stuff. And I was like, I was in the background because like he ran the marketing. I was kind of learning from him, but that was my first experience. And then from then on, I was like, oh, startups, I love it. And so. I uh, started working for a bunch of startups, consulting or helping with different products. And then I worked with this um, this company with Luke Robluski, and that was kind of the second acquisition that that just happened by Google, and that was a few years ago. And um, and yeah, so there mainly growth and marketing capacity both of those acquisitions that's where i kind of helped out the very first one was very early on my marketing quote unquote career <laughs> and then this one was much later where i kind of was the only marketer at the company but and um, when you i'm definitely curious when you made that transition like was that a transition you were planning for when you made the move to silicon valley or was it hey, that's what they needed help with and this was sort of your first opportunity because you know you studied as an engineer. So I was just curious about that. Yeah, I was an introverted engineer, came to Silicon Valley. I wanted to learn business. I knew that I could learn how to code, new, new code, like if it was Amazon Echo or iPhone, I could figure out how to code for those devices and whatever new device will arrive. Like I had a pretty much good background. I had no expertise about business marketing. And so I wanted some kind of business. I didn't know what. And so I started my MBA and then immediately I fell into this. I wrote uh, basically a script that would scrape Twitter and would find influencers. And so I would kind of pitch myself as like a, Hey, I could find who you should pitch. And that was just an idea I had because I looked around. I didn't really see anything like that. And that was early on. It was 2007. And so I was basically looking for a gig. And then I just so happened to meet Mernal, who worked, was going to start the startup, Crossloop. And, and so he, he was like, listen, come on board. And he was like a PR background guy. He kind of also self-taught, but also like very good connections and like influencer kind of marketing PR space. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And he was like my first person who just in Silicon Valley said, sure, I'll take you under my wing and kind of teach you a little bit about how to do this stuff. And so I just ended up going that route. That's, that's awesome. That's, and from there, I mean, you're in your career, I don't know. Now most people would consider you, you know, a growth hacker, you know, one of the, one of the people to really go to when it comes to, you know, trying to understand what it means to be growth. I mean, maybe you could talk about, cause I know also you had mentioned in your career, you ended up helping lead you know, marketing and growth for a company that ultimately got acquired by Google. And there's, there's not many people that can, can say that they've done that. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about you know, that experience in itself and, and just, yeah. I guess, what that experience meant to you as a growth person. Yeah, a lot of people ask me about it. I wrote a get case study on the next web of how I got acquired by Google. And um, it's it's something people can take from and, and kind of adapt it. You can't really replicate exactly the successes people had. And 
I'm trying to focus actually more on, on talking about failures versus successes because people talk about success way too much and it's like kind of getting annoying now. And I do it myself too. Like I, I know that I'll get more clicks, but it's just like, but you know, I, I started out not knowing anything. Like I, I literally, Luke Robluski, who founded Mobile First, the guy who kind of wrote all the books about Mobile First and became a thought leader in this space of designing an uh, experience for mobile first uh, and not desktop. Uh, he had an idea for this startup called Polar where it was gonna be a beautiful design, beautifully designed iPhone app for creating a poll uh, with pictures and asking your friends to vote on it. Like really, like there's tons of apps out there. <laughs> and my job was to really market it. Like he said, Dimitri, come under my wing, you know, you helped so I, before that, I was working on Twitter Bootstrap in the, in the design community. It's a big thing. Uh, I worked at Zurb, and the idea of Twitter Bootstrap came from there. And then Twitter came and basically poached half of our talent. I didn't go to Twitter. I stayed with Zurb. Uh, but the, the open source framework that allows you to create websites, Twitter Bootstrap, was released under Twitter's name. That was actually Zurb style guide 1.0. Uh, and we ended up going the other route. We created Zurb Foundation, which is our open source framework. So, so we did all that, and uh, there I met kind of Luke and Luke Robuski, Mobile First. And so from there, he said, "Come under my wing and help me um, build this thing." And so I tried all sorts of stuff. I basically was trying to do partnerships and Facebook ads and um, I, I like app store optimization and we've done all sorts of different viral campaigns for the polls and you know we were getting somewhere we were getting into thousands but we were not getting into millions downloads and use and so it was just limiting it was shallow for me I was trying to different tactics to get to millions because Jerry Yang put money into us he put like a million and a half. And so, you know, Jerry Yang, founder of Yahoo. Yeah, and so right. when um, when somebody like that puts money in, he needs to see some numbers. And, and so I literally had an idea of coming up with really, really, like looking at, at the time, it was iOS 6 versus iOS 7. It was PS4 versus Xbox 360. I was trying to figure out how can you take these popular stories. These days it's like Trump versus Hillary or what's going <laughs> to happen. But like whatever tech is coming, like iPhone 8, headphone jacks, whatever is happening that's like very passionate, that gets people really passionate and emotional, those are the things that you should be creating polls about and then asking them to give you their opinion. And so we started by having Luke tweet these polls out and getting some data and then emailing that data to journalists, to influencers or to whoever's out there. And that is really powerful because anybody can do that. Anybody can create quick little polls and get some data and send it out to them on topics they know a lot about. And so, and journalists don't have time to do this, so it's really powerful for them to have this data. And so our data started getting included in all these publications. And then what we started doing is we started creating embed widgets, just like YouTube does, so that people can embed it into their articles. And then their readers will vote on it. And then they could click over to our site from the actual embed, just like you can from YouTube embeds and see the actual video on, or the poll on our site. 
and create their, your own account and your own poll on your own site. And it was like a reciprocal loop. But it took a long time to get the journalists comfortable enough with it so that we, and we needed to show value. So the value for them was more time on site, more engagement on site. And that's how we pitched these polls to these journalists and influencers and all these publications. Do you want an average user to spend an extra 50 seconds on your site? Embed this poll that is way, 10 times more powerful than your commenting feature, for example. So Engadget, NPR, Washington Post, New York Times, like all these people would, the journal would put these polls in because it would add time to their site and it would add engagement to their content. They would read the article, they would vote, and they would voice their opinion. And then from there, they can either share that page and say, I voted this way on, on this page, or um, they could also click over to an older piece that was related to that article. And so... We ended up growing really fast after that. So we built a web app and we kind of pivoted away from the iPhone app altogether, create a whole web app of creating these polls really quickly and efficiently. And so we had San Francisco Chronicle on the sidebar. We had like permanent placement on, on San Francisco Chronicle, on San Antonio News, on Connecticut Post, on MLB, NBA, like all these folks were using us. We were just like crazy. We grew like crazy. And, and yeah, and so Google came and they're like, yeah, we, we like this. So <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, maybe you could dig in there a little bit. I mean, you mentioned before that you were you know, trying all sorts of things. And by the way, is this, how big was the team that was focused on growing? Was it, was it, was it just you? Was there a team behind it? So it was just me, really. I mean, we had the founder, and then we had the co-founder. There was, like, two main guys. The founder was the CEO. It was Luke. And then we had the co-founder, the engineering guy, Jeff. And then under Jeff, we had somebody who worked uh, in engineering, Winfield. And then, uh, I don't know, it was yeah. me. I, I was, like, the marketing guy. And then, like, our founder, CEO, Luke, like, he would talk to me about it once in a while. But in terms of, like, coming up with a strategy, executing it, it was just me. And then we had Paula who would help me create these polls because my idea was like crank them all the time. And so then eventually we got somebody else to help me create polls out on in on the European time zone. But got it. it was mainly just me and then we had a couple of people helping. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Show. Got it. No, and I think I think that's awesome because sometimes people will see these companies experiencing massive growth, and it might be easy to assume, ah, yeah, but they they have the resources to do it. You know, they have the financial backing, so there must be a whole team of people. But in this case, really, just you know, you're the only person sort of dedicated solely to growth. So you know, I'm I'm interested in even just understanding, you know, when it's when it's you. And obviously, you know, the others are, are helping and informing the process, but when it's when it's just you trying to plan for this, 
how, I, I guess, how were you going about managing the different experiments you were doing? Or I guess like, what did you have to do to get to the point where you figured out what worked really well? And, you know, then of course it's time to scale that up. What are, what were your, what are your thoughts on that? So, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun. Like we have, we had the, the team itself was very, very, very fast and efficient at operating and getting the job done. Uh, we, I think a lot of times people just underestimate how quickly they can test things and they, they, they plan too much and they just, just figure they, I, I was moving so fast and trying to figure out what will work. I literally was not like throwing stuff at the wall, but <laughs> I was just so desperate to get results that I would really go after every single thing that I thought remotely would might work possibly. So like I would look at everything that people generally do with big budgets and we didn't have a big budget at all. We, we were like really lean. And, um, this was before we even closed. I think for a while we just lived off credit cards and then we like closed some money and then we could pay ourselves a little bit, but it was still not like you weren't earning much. (laughs) You can barely survive on it. And we would basically try and see the most efficient way, just try and figure out how can you test something at a minuscule level to see if it works. So instead of like, I was going after LinkedIn groups and I was trying to figure out, can I do a blast of this LinkedIn group and have them engage with this, with this polling platform and the minimum entrance into it was like 10 grand. And I was like trying to ask the guy, can we do, can you share an update with this link? And let's just see if, it, if like 10 people see it, if one of them clicks over or something that would give me some kind of indication whether I could convert it. And I would literally, I guess, try and figure out a, a fast way, an efficient way to go through it without hiring more people. And like we had a couple of VAs. I remember I hired for three bucks an hour and, um, I'm just, that's usually just the way I operate anyway, these days too. I, I, in terms of like headcount, I'm trying to keep that as low as possible sure. with everything. Sure. Well, and now, you know, you run a completely new company, uh, just reach out and maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that because it's, I mean, really you're in the business of growth. That company exists to help companies with growth in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after that position, I decided not to go to Google, which is kind of crazy um, because literally, like, there was a lot of money involved, and uh, and so I didn't go. And then I ended up um, saying, "Look, I, I saw there was a big problem. People were like pitching press through these PR firms, and these PR firms were like charging seven grand, five grand a month." And it's just like obscene, like these PR firms, the way they operate. Like I've been, a friend of mine went um, to to work at a PR firm. I walked in and I was like, looking at what they do is just like this big mail merch thing. And that, I was like, oh, like how, like some PR firms do, like they have, they have these relationships or whatever, but it's just like crazy. Like if you are a startup, 
not a, like if you're a fortune 500 company or like a company with like a thousand people, 500 people, fine. Like you can pay 10 grand to a PR firm and sure. whatever. Like sure. it's like a business expense. Like you need to have a PR firm represent you. It makes you feel good. It's fine. Like it, but if you're a startup and you, you have, you raise some money you have a few million dollars in the bank, you shouldn't be raising like wasting seven grand, ten grand a month, maybe five grand a month on a PR firm. You can hire one person, or you could train one of the people and do it yourself very efficiently, way more efficiently than a PR firm will do it for you. And it doesn't take any. There's no magic keys to like your contacts with journalists. It's just like you can do this yourself. And that was the genesis for Just Reach Out. I started building this this tool that identifies which journalists you should pitch and why and gives you a reason. Basically, here's a journalist who is writing about Bitcoin and they need an expert who knows a bit about Bitcoin. Or here's a journalist who's writing an entrepreneurship-based kind of article and needs a, like some an expert to talk to about marketing and growth. And, and this needs to happen in the next five days. And there's, this information actually exists there. There's tons of journalists looking for experts to talk to for their articles. And so people can just contact them. It's such a low-hanging fruit, yet nobody was making use of this. Nobody was going after this. Everybody was kind of going the generic, archaic route of 10 grand a month or nothing. And it's like right. crazy. And so I built the tool based on that. And then we expanded. We just, um, you know, we're at 3,400 people that pay for it now. And it's it's a service that not only shows you journalists to pitch, but also shows you the reasons why. It shows you Quora and Reddit discussions you should comment on. Or it shows you tweets from journalists you should respond to. And so it kind of grew as a product offering. And um, so, I mean, it doesn't fully replace a PR firm, but it, in a way, I guess it does for startups, entrepreneurs. Well, it's, it, it sounds like depending on the situation of your company, this could be an awesome alternative and maybe you grow into using a PR mm -hmm. firm, but maybe you never even have to. I mean, and I'm really, you just mentioned before, 3,400 or something like that paying customers now. When did Just Reach Out get started? Um, well, we... I guess we launched in the beginning of this year, late late last year, we pushed the site live and we kind of announced things early this year. And uh, we were really fortunate this year to accumulate all these people because uh, we did promotions. Um, so I, I used to work with Noah Kagan of AppSumo, Sumo Me, yeah. and we were still really good friends with him. And, and same with like Brian Harris and Brian Dean, Brian Dean of Backlinko, Brian Harris of Video Fruit. And so I was really fortunate to do prom like partnership deals with AppSumo, who's been just really great for us to acquiring new users and um, converting them down the funnel. So um, they would come in at a very, very low price point, and then we would essentially, you know, help them with something small where they would contact mm -hmm. a few journalists and get press mentions. And if they wanted more, they would upgrade to the regular price level. And that has been really, like, powerful for us this year. So we're, we're fortunate enough to... Yeah. to get to those numbers. Yeah, well, and they're incredible numbers, especially for just having launched not even a year ago. And I think it's that 
this is particularly interesting because you know, a lot of our audience, they're entrepreneurs that are sometimes just getting started. Sometimes they've been up and running for you know a few years and they want to grow more. But, you know, they all still feel like they're at the very beginning stages in terms of their total potential. Um, now, in your case, it sounds like partnerships have, you know, led a lot to the growth. There's other things that people talk about, like whether it's content or, you know, even, you know, making product tweaks so that your product is more viral or, you know, what have you. I guess knowing for the entrepreneurs that are out there that are sort of just getting started, but they want to be in your position a year from now where, where they could talk about having thousands of paying customers. What are some of those channels that you think that they should consider that maybe they're not even thinking about? I don't know. Maybe partnerships is sort of natural for everybody and they think, yeah, that's the first go-to, but maybe not. I mean, are there others that you think, hey, folks aren't thinking about these, but they should, you know, when it comes to channels for getting started? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, AppSumo is really hard to get into, but I always go to people who already have my customers and try and figure out how can I provide value to them as a add-on or something like that. So before AppSumo, when we first launched, I had no customers at all. Now, the very first thing that I did before I even built this thing, I walked around meetups and I would have the idea of this app sketched out on my piece of paper. And literally, I would sketch out what it would look like. I had three screens sketched out, search field, results, contact page. And I would explain it to them. I'd be like, Hey, I'm building this thing. Here's what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you have like a few minutes? I just, I want to show you. And people would like look at stuff, you know, um, if you would, you know, sound okay. And like, if it wasn't too awkward, you know, like if, if they're actually interested in the idea, like if they're interested in pitching press and that's something that their PR is something they're struggling with. Sure. They'll look at what you're building basically. Right. But I didn't build anything. I didn't have anything. I just had three pieces of paper. And I would show it to them. And they'd be like, that's useful. Yeah, that's cool. This is what I would do, though. That's how I would use it, actually. You know, like, And so they would give me feedback. And that was a really powerful thing, feedback from people. Because that, then you can go back to them and say, hey, I actually resketched this, this thing here. Would, how does this look? And so that person will become your first customer when you come, come, come time to launch. And, and so you're building actually based on their feedback. And then once you've built the whole thing, you can go back to them and say, here it is, it's built. I've been gathering feedback from you through the entire process. What do you think of it? And that, that becomes really powerful. And so um, that's how I started Just Reach Out. So by the time I launched, I had like 20 people well, no, we had more people because I asked people to give me money as we were building it. Okay. So, you know, like we each person gave us like $100 or $200. So by the time we launched, we had like a thousand bucks in the bank or something like that or a thousand five hundred. I forget what it was. We had a little bit of money committed saying, hey, these people put money down to use this product. So we're like, all right, feeling good about it. And then we had all this feedback from these people about the product. And so by the time I launched, I had money in the bank proving these people are going to use it and the feedback from them. So I had my first 10 customers and they came in and they started using it. Stuff was broken. We fixed stuff. And then 
from then on, what I did is I tried to repeat that on a more like on a bigger scale. So the next thing would be I did was I did a launch on Hacker News or um, then I did Product Hunt. I know Ryan Hoover really well. He was one of the I was one of the people he invited very early on into into Product Hunt when they were just getting started. And these launches were sort of like, again, give me feedback launches like hey, I'm a no-name entrepreneur. I'm just sitting here in Boston. I thought I'd launch something. I built something that helps people do PR. We have 10 people who are using it. We'd love your feedback. And people are just like super helpful. They'd be like, I'd love to give you feedback. Sure. And, and so, I mean, I would either discount it to like 20 bucks or 10 bucks a month, or I would just say, you know, like I'll give you for free, like I'll give the product hunters free accounts or something or 25% off that will mean that you pay five bucks. I don't know. So like anything I can do to get people quote unquote, give me feedback. When people give you feedback, they get bought into the idea a little more. And then you implement that feedback, they buy into it a little more. And so it becomes like almost kind of uncomfortable to just never do anything about this product because you've basically bought into the product idea by giving feedback. So you've been doing this so many times, you're gonna use this thing. And so we did that, I did that with Just Reach Out with, on a bigger scale on Reddit, on Hacker News, on Product Hunt, gathering feedback and getting people in there, very low level, like very low pricing level. And then, um, LinkedIn groups were really helpful for me. So then I went on like startup entrepreneurship, LinkedIn groups, and again, asked for feedback from people. So specifically I was struggling with conversions. I had a really like, you know, just people were in the product itself wasn't fully working really well. And again, I'm like, look, I have paying customers. We have 150 paying customers and they're monthly paying customers. And here are my main problems. Like, what do you guys suggest I do? And there's tons of people that were like, this is what I would do different. This is what I would do different. Or here are the things where you might want to look at. And again, everybody who gives you feedback, you follow up with them and you follow up with them and you follow up with them and you bring them in and you rope them in. Um, so yeah, eventually when I got the product to a place where I wanted it, I, I turned to kind of bigger channels of people who kind of had a, uh, you know, my, my, people hanging out on, on their site. And um, I started doing guest writing. And guest writing is probably one of the most underutilized ways of getting exposure for yourself. You know, people just forget about it, but it's just, like it's not gonna drive huge herds of people to your site, but in this stage, it's perfect to get a little more. So, so I started doing guest writing. And then I turned to strategic guest writing, and that's where I met Brian Dean of Backlinko, who changed my life in terms of like basically not laboring away aimlessly writing a bunch of blog posts, like actually dedicating. So I no longer write 10 posts a week or five posts a week. Like I, I no longer do that. I write one post every two months and then try and get that to rank really high. So I rank number two right now for cold email. And I try and do exactly the same thing for all my other posts. So like email endings, email pitches. I try and rank really high for that key term by writing articles on my own blog. And there's a whole methodology on how you do when those, that. And those but, all sound like topics that are perfect, like evergreen type topics. Like they're gonna be relevant 
no matter you know what time of year, you know, no matter when somebody's on yeah. the web trying to search for that information. Would you say that's right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I pick very strategically. I pick the keywords. I do a lot of like analysis, and there's lots of different tools and methodologies and tactics in this SEO world, the content marketing world that we can talk about. But it, basically, I pick a few keywords and then I rank for them. And then I pull in customers from that. So I, I no longer have to run ads. I don't have to look for more partnerships. I have a sustainable funnel that's always bringing in new and new, new, new people because people keep searching for this word more and more and more. So I pick a word, do a lot of like due diligence on the word. But once I do pick it, it's usually a good, good, a good word. No, it, that, it's super helpful to get to understand, hey, in the very beginning stages, what are those types of activities versus now that you're getting more established, how do those activities change? So it's helpful to, mm -hmm. to think of it that way. I guess as, as you're going along that journey, how are you measuring the results? Like are there, I know when it comes to metrics, you know, some mm -hmm. people are in the camp of, hey, you focus on the one metric that matters, but you know, find your mm -hmm. true north. Some people, oh, let's measure all sorts of things. And I, I guess what how did you view metrics as you're going along? Yeah, I said, you know, Noah kind of got me on the bandwagon of one metric and that's mm -hmm. it. Like uh, with his AppSumo thing, you know, the way he grew that. And so ever since I started Just Reach Out, it's been just active subscribers on, okay. on, um, on Just Reach Out. A number of people who are actively using the system and are paying for it. Um, because that's literally like, it's a month to month business. So it's like monthly recurring revenue. Everything depends on that. And so it could be hundreds of thousands of people come over to the site. I could have hundreds of thousands of people on my email list. Still doesn't convert to monthly recurring revenue. So it was just, uh, that number and just trying to see what can I do to impact it most efficiently. Um, with like, I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to waste. So I, I was just, can I write an article that ranks really high or can I do AppSumo deal or those kind of things that would work before I reached that, I tried out about 10 other things that failed <laughs> and, and that just, you know, like that's part of the game. So you just kind of like try things that fail, but on, I think it worked. I, I haven't seen, feedback fail yet whenever you try and ask people for feedback people will give it to you and then they will buy into the idea if you know like there is some kind of mutual interest there of course yeah and when that's such a good i mean obviously feedback can be helpful in all different aspects of the business i think sometimes a lot of people it seems like they forget that hey that feedback actually does have a role within growth you know it's not just for you know oh let's take the feedback and it's just for product development it can actually can actually help you grow. I mean, it seems like in your case, it, it did. So I, I love that. I love that piece of feedback. Yeah, yeah, it it works really well. I learned it back in Zerb when I was working there. Well, I I could talk to you forever, but I, we're we're coming up on our time. Knowing that you know the folks that are listening, they're interested in in learning about growth, and you know maybe maybe some of these folks are experienced. You know what they would consider themselves to be growth hackers. But I think a lot of people, they're starting to test the waters with growth. They're trying to learn about it. They're trying to, you know, come into the camp of growth. Is there anything that you would kind of leave them with 
uh, knowing we're, we're sort of at the end of our time here, sort of one last takeaway that you might share? Yeah, I think, I don't know. Like a lot of, I, I was going to put, like give like a random, like just a, the tactic lesson. And I, I speak a lot. So like, I have like things prepared to just say, <laughs> here are things you should be trying. And it's like, all right. And people kind of go away. But I, I don't know. Like whenever I hear that, I'm always like, okay, like <laughs> that worked for that dude over there. But I, I'll leave them with this. And this is like kind of bigger than just some tactic. Sure. Yeah, sure. But uh, I ran a, a speaking series and uh, I interviewed all sorts of really famous people, like the founder of WordPress, Matt Mullenweg, and founder of Eventbrite, Kevin, and uh, like Evan from Twitter, and Winklevoss Twins, and Tim Ferriss, and like on and on and on and on, Pandora, Facebook. And uh, out of all of them, one interview sticks out in my mind, even to this day. It's an interview with this guy, Patrick Byrne. He's a founder of Overstock.com, or the CEO of Overstock.com. And, you know, like nobody really cares about Overstock.com. It's like some website out there. Like some people have been on it, some of them haven't. And this guy is not even the founder, I don't think. He's like the CEO. And he flew out from Utah for this interview. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like this guy actually flew out. And we had a good good chat, but um, at um, really early in his life, uh, not early, but I mean in his 20s, he found out he had this condition where uh, he might die, and they gave him six months to live. And and so he just quickly reassessed his life. And he was, I think he was in a, like a growth marketing kind of role over there. And so he reassessed the life, and he's like, what is really important for me in terms of like my life priorities and like what do I want to accomplish professionally and personally? And so he kind of set out like his his plans, like here's what I will do until I die. I have six months. I'm in my 20s. Um, I want to try these things professionally and these things personally. And so the time came and then they said, well, we, we're going to give you more time because I think you're adapting whatever, like the, the, some medication. And, and so there's like a whole interview about it that we published on zerbsoapbox.com. But he, uh, he basically learned to live six months at a time and he's still alive now and he's still living and he's well, I think. But um, he, he, that, he, that took years and years, and every year they would give him the same thing, and eventually it kind of was apparent that he's not going to die, but he might have to die soon. But it's, there's still like a chance, but it's not that great, which is, thank God. But he learned how to live six months at a time, and he would reprioritize his life like that over and over and over again. So now that's like a given to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I only have the next six months. Like I... I need to accomplish everything I can in the next six months. And so I I really like changed the way I approached kind of day-to-day stuff in terms of priority and what I actually wanted to push for and, and get accomplished. And so in terms of like professional life too, like he would actually have things. He's like, if I die, I just want to make sure that I have tried these things and done these things uh, because – I just need to know like if this is working this way or it doesn't. And, and like, there's nothing like all this other stuff could wait or I can do it later. or I will never do it. But these things I really need to make sure. And, 
you know, for a lot of people, it might not be in that situation. It's a really tough situation. They might just scrap all the professional stuff out of the door and say, I'm just going to concentrate on my personal life, like figuring that out because you only have six months. But I always think in terms of like the building, whatever I'm working on growth wise, you know, not planning too far in advance and also not not thinking about long initiatives that might take a long time and budgets and people and, and all this stuff. It's like, it has to be very simple and quick things that you can see and test immediately. And, and, and so, I mean, with, with me, it started with feedback early on. And then from there, try to do a little bit more feedback on a larger forum, like product hunt, Reddit or whatever. And then from there, you know, what is working, what is not, move it a little bit higher up and just keep going that way. But, um, but it's always in the back of my mind, six months, like you got six months, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. what's tomorrow? Like what, what's your week? Not one week, two week, three, what is that looking like? What is your life looking like? What are you thinking about day to day? And then I'm like, I don't want to operate under those constraints, but in a way I'm like, I push myself to try and do that because I want to accomplish more. Like I want to accomplish, you know, like a lot of stuff and everybody does, but everybody forgets because everybody thinks they have time and people think we have, we have time. The year just starts out, right? The year is ending. It's starting out. It's summer. And so, yeah, like just straight up goals. They're very easy to test and achieve and try and figure out, how you can get there I really like changed the way I just operate the business I was like you know I just I, I don't take calls I don't like like I lack in other things in terms of running the business sure but I like try and like focus on what what might drive this one thing that I really care about I think I think that's an awesome story I mean that definitely get me thinking now yeah you have me trying to think about gosh, if I just think about it in the context of the next six months, how might that change how I would go about the day-to-day? So I I love that. I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, all right. Well, hey, I listen, I appreciate you taking the time to talk. Um, I know everybody else does as well. How can people best you know, get a hold of you, uh, keep tabs of what you're doing? I suppose the blog, Criminally Prolific, that would be one way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. The blog, Criminally Prolific, is good. I put up a new case studies and things on there and then just reach out that's the uh just reach out that io is the um the site the software site where i kind of hang out as well got a little blog on there as well awesome awesome well dimitri thanks again and uh we'll we'll be talking soon all right chat soon a big thanks to our sponsor today prezi business prezi business makes your presentations better, more engaging, interactive, and they have a platform that features built-in analytics, cloud-based collaboration tools, and the unique ability to adapt to the flow of the conversation, which is so important whether you're doing sales or a investor presentation. So go to prezi.com forward slash rocket ship and get your presentation prezified today. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, if you made it this far, I know you're finding value. So hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review on iTunes so we can reach more people. It's so important. So I, I appreciate that in advance. 
Follow us on Twitter at RocketshipFM so you don't miss the new episodes as they come out. You can follow me at Michael Saka, Mike Belsito at Belsito, and Joel at Joel Goldman.